we had the kids with us, and uh, you might have thought that I would have saved the flannel graph and the felt for them, but I'm saving it for you. So, as we come to Easter, we come to a day of celebration, a day of just incredible happiness and longings fulfilled. But at the same time, as we walk through the calendar of the year and through the days of our lives, we still have hard things going on. We're still dealing with all of the pains that life and illness bring. We're still dealing with anxiety, with depression. We're still dealing with family troubles. We're still dealing with all sorts of pain and sadness and hurt in the world. Just this morning uh, on, on my news feed pops up something about Mariupol in, in Ukraine and the soldiers who are fighting to the death there, resisting. And, and what is Easter like for them? The question that we're going to look to today in the scriptures is how do we recover hope when life feels hopeless? Because so often that's where we live. We come to Easter service and it's like, let's all be happy, but we're not happy. Let's all be filled with hope, but we're struggling with hopelessness. And so what do we do? And the scriptures give us this encouragement that we need a hope we can feel. And Easter tells us that's what we have. So let's take a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into the word together. Father, thank you for the promise of Easter. Lord, for those of us uh, who are celebrating today, full of joy, Lord, I pray you'd lift them even higher. For those who are struggling today, Lord, I, I pray that you would lift them with the hope of resurrection, a non-trite hope, a full, true, substantial, rock-solid hope in the historic bodily resurrection of Jesus. I pray that you'd minister that to us through your word and spirit now. Amen. Amen. As we get started, I think of flannel graph Jesus. He's pretty thin and soft and fuzzy. He's much more Caucasian than the original Jesus of Nazareth. But Looking at flannel graph Jesus through the eyes of a child, he's so real, so true, so good. And learning stories with him, and especially seeing the incredible hope of the resurrection and of the empty tomb, it just fills a child's eyes with wonder at the world. This is a world of possibility. This is the world that the God of the universe made. This is the world into which he came in Jesus. This is the world that he's healing by his resurrection power. It's full of hope and possibility. But then, as we go on through life, we experience more feelings than just these fuzzy feelings, don't we? Even in church community, there can be moments where we experience God talkers who misuse the Bible, who can even misuse Jesus and his name, crafting him after themselves for their own political privilege and power and position. And we see those kinds of things and it can rock us, it can shake us and we can feel the injustice of the world and the Putins of the world pulling their weight around the Caesars of the world. And where is God to answer, we wonder, as we go through days of suffering, struggle, as we see injustice in the world. And our vision of Jesus becomes one where we can relate to him on the cross where he cries out, my God, my God, why? Why all this? And we feel 
forsaken, like we can't feel God. Where is he? Our hopes feel shattered. And how do we recover hope? That's exactly where we find a mentor here in the story of Thomas in John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Thomas was a person who struggled with doubt. That's how most of us know him. If you grew up in a church, you know him as doubting Thomas. Yes, he doubted, and so do we. (laughs) So perhaps there's something we could learn from him as we see his story in the scriptures. The first thing we learn about Thomas in verse 24 is that he was one of the 12. You can take down that slide for now, sister. He's one of the 12. And as one of the 12, he's one of the 12 disciples that was following Jesus, who got the most instruction, attention, and relationship with Jesus. And the first time we see 12 mentioned in reference to the disciples is is in John 6. Jesus is feeding the 5,000. By miraculous divine power, he takes a few loaves and some fish, and he makes it enough. The small meal that wasn't enough, he makes it enough to satisfy all these crowds. And then he teaches, and he says, you have bread that makes you full for now, but I am the bread of life. And if you would be satisfied, come and eat me. (laughs) What a strange word Jesus spoke in John chapter 6. And it was so difficult, difficult for all those people there. They didn't know what to do with this, that they all start leaving. Whatever, man. Thanks for the meal. But the 12 are there. And Jesus looks at them and says, well, aren't you going to go as well? And Thomas was there when Peter chimed in and he says, no, Lord, where would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. And and Thomas, no doubt, was wondering, who is this Jesus? Who is he, the one who can feed all these people and the one who speaks so incredibly, so astonishingly about himself. I'm the bread of life. And then we find Thomas again in John chapter 11. Jesus is going to visit his friends, Mary and Martha, because their brother Lazarus has died. And he waited intentionally so that he could go and he could raise him up. But as he's going to Bethany, the place where Lazarus lived, he's going close to the seat of the power of the Pharisees, and of the provincial Roman government under Pilate. And the disciples know that they have it in for Jesus. They don't like people that they think threaten their power. Romans put down insurrections and any threats to their power. The Jews did not like Jesus, particularly their leadership, the Pharisees. And so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Chapter 11, verse 16. He's ready to go and die with Jesus. Whatever he may think about Jesus at this point, whatever his vision of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish, at this point, he loves Jesus and he's willing to lay down his life for him. And all the other disciples who are no doubt nervous about following Jesus so close to Jerusalem, they were rallied by Thomas and his cry, let's go, that we should die with him. Well, then he sees Jesus raise Lazarus, saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. And no doubt he's wondering still, who is this? Is this this my hope? And then in John 14, we find him in a final long conversation with Jesus. And Jesus is telling his disciples, first he tells them about how Peter is going to deny him another disciple. 
Very troubling words. And then Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know the way where I'm going. But then Thomas chimes in, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And it's to Thomas that Jesus says these words. Maybe you've heard them before. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus goes on and says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and I've seen him. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. John chapter 1 shows us, and he's trying to reveal this to Thomas to help him to see who he is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the bread of life. But then the next thing Thomas is going to see and the other disciples, they're going to see their Lord, their hope, crucified. And it's like their hopes are crushed. How could they believe again? How could they recover hope? They need a hope they could feel. But, but hopes and our core beliefs Sometimes we like to imagine ourselves like robots as though with just the right data inputs and the logical statements and evidence that, that we would just believe. But that's not, in fact, how humans ordinarily work. Our core beliefs are more like boulders. They're like these things that settle into the ground of our being and of our mind. And because we believe them so strongly, we don't want them to move. It takes a lot of force to move a boulder, more than just arguments ordinarily. But Thomas believed in Jesus. He believed he was the Messiah. And that belief was rocked. It was blown up by the cross, by seeing him die. He didn't know what to do with it. And into the place of, of that boulder of hope in a Messiah, whatever Thomas thought that meant, rolled in a new boulder of doubt because all the little pebbles piled around of what was his hope in Jesus, it was so emotionally exhausting, no doubt, to pick those back together and to hope again. Maybe you've hoped in something before so deeply, profoundly, and you were disappointed, and you have defenses now. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to risk all of that emotional pain by investing my hopes in someone again. And this was Thomas. How could he hope again with crushed, blown-up hopes? He needed a hope he could feel. And that's what he finds. He takes in the data as it comes to him, but the data wasn't enough. We hear this story in the beginning of John. Uh, the women, they are the first to the tomb. We know from Luke's account there were at least three women there. John focuses in on Mary, and Mary encounters Jesus, risen, sees him, hears his voice, and goes back to tell the other disciples what she's seen. Now, in, in Luke's account, in Luke 24, we find that they thought it was an idle tale. They didn't believe what she was saying to them. And, and there's a number of reasons at work here. You know, number one, the people of the first century were not naive and gullible, as some of us might like to think, because we're so sophisticated and we live in the 21st century. Obviously, we know that dead people don't come back to life, but those first century people were just gullible, and that's why they believe this story. No, nonsense. They know what death is. They're faced with it much more closely than we are, who separate ourselves as far as we can from it. They know that death is final, left to us alone. 
But secondly, there was something more than just the, the miraculousness that was required for this statement to be true. It was the fact that these were women speaking. And women in first century Jewish culture and in Roman culture, for that matter, were not credible witnesses in court. They were not as credible as a man would be, particularly a man of stature, a man of title and honor. And so if you were going to craft a story to get people to believe that Jesus is risen, you would not make women the first witnesses of his resurrection. You wouldn't do that unless it was true. And that's what we find here. Well, Peter, he wondered. And so he went. And we know John came along with him. And this being John's gospel, John thought it very important to include the fact that John beat Peter to the tomb. But John sees the empty tomb and he sees the burial linens laying there. And it just went on in his mind. He believed the Holy Spirit woke him up to hope again. And so no doubt now Mary Peter and John are sharing what they've seen with the disciples, but then Jesus comes in the midst of all the doubt, in the midst of all the despair, and he blows up that boulder for the disciples. He comes in their midst, though they were in a locked door room because they were afraid of what the Jews could do to them. They saw what they did to Jesus, so they're afraid, huddled together in a room. And Jesus says, peace, peace. <laughs> to these fearful ones. He breathes his spirit upon them. He renews their purpose. He sends them out to forgive in his name. But we read in John 20, verse 24, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there. He didn't see. He didn't feel the breath upon him. He didn't hear the voice. The last thing he's seen is his savior dead and his hope is still all blown up. But the disciples, verse 25, they were telling him, we've seen the Lord. In, in, in my English version, it's render, rendered a simple past. They told him. But in the original language, it's an imperfect tense, meaning it was something that was happening. It was an ongoing thing in the past. The disciples were telling him We've seen the Lord. They keep on telling him what they've seen. We've seen the Lord. But he says to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. He needs a felt experience, a sensory experience of the risen Lord. And at this moment, it's worth just pausing to note, all of us can be different in the reasons we believe, in the moments that bring us to faith in Jesus, and in the things that we desire if we're not yet at that place, so that we might trust in Jesus. We might risk standing upon him as the foundation of our lives. There was John. John saw the empty tomb, and he sees linens folded. And somehow that, for him, is what brought him to hope and to faith. The Holy Spirit used that as the sufficient and necessary means for him to believe. And then Mary, she sees Jesus, but it's just not clear to her yet. She's never seen someone risen in glory. But then when he speaks her name, Miriam, she saw clearly and believed 
And then Thomas, he's longing for a felt experience of Jesus. So we can be different, but then we can be similar (laughs) in that we can all struggle with doubt. And the good news is that we have a Lord who is merciful toward those who doubt, as we see in this passage. And in fact, Jesus' brother, Jude, who struggled with doubt before he knew Jesus, was really who he claimed to be, as any brother probably would. No doubt from his own experience, ministers in his letter, Jude, verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. That's the way that we're taught in the scriptures and by Jesus himself. Well, the disciples are together in this room, and the next verse, verse 26, says eight days later. Think about eight days in the first century with no Netflix. Think about eight days. This is like the worst of of, of COVID time when you were stuck inside, you know? Especially for those of you who, who live in an apartment. They're in an upper room, locked together, eight days And think about this reality. The disciples are inside. Thomas is with them. They're fearful for their lives. You have these disciples who say they've seen Jesus. They're going on saying this. Thomas just can't believe that. And they're all there dealing with one another. And beyond that, as day rolls on after day, think about the reality of it. The disciples may start to wonder, was this this real? Did we really see it? Is it just confirmation bias? Do we want to see it so bad that we just dreamt it? And Thomas perhaps is feeling sort of confirmed in his despair. But then Jesus comes and like TNT blows up the boulder of doubt. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, just as he did before. But this time he addresses Thomas right at the core of his doubts. What does he say? He says to Thomas in verse 27, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And note that he offers him historical, real evidence himself. How do we recover hope? How do we recover hope when life seems so hopeless? We need a hope we can feel. And that's exactly what Thomas found before him. And so he confessed. This is the high point of the gospel. I want you to realize this. My Lord and my God. He sees it. He confesses it. What does this mean for us today? The first thing I want to encourage you with is that Jesus' resurrection means real hope for the real world. Real hope for the real world. He's a savior we can feel. Jesus came and died and rose again to forgive sins. Yes. And to begin the new creation. To make all things new. To reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's bigger It's more full. It's something you can take hold of truly. And we now, who look to him in faith, are called a new creation. And one day the Lord will bring the new creation to its fullness. And the dead in Christ will rise in true bodies and be with him in the truest, most real, most beautiful world that we could ever imagine. The new heavens and new earth. 
Jesus came to bring the new creation. And so if you find yourself disappointed with Christianity because it seems sort of detached, soulish, wispy and spiritual and separated from your actual lived experience, I want to tell you today that is actually a boulder that should be moved out of the way for the true rock of historical Christianity that's rooted in the historic bodily resurrection of Jesus. We have a real Savior who brings real hope to the real world. Hope you can take hold of. Secondly, this faith means mercy for those who doubt. The resurrection of Jesus is merciful to those who doubt, who need something to hold on to that they might believe. And that's what we find in Jesus. But what do we do with that doubt when we have it? Thirdly, I encourage you today to learn from this story. Right there at the end in 29, Jesus says to Thomas, a light rebuke. But remember, Thomas has just given the truest confession of Jesus in this whole gospel by any of the disciples. But Jesus says to him, you believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And it's not saying, blessed are those who believe without any evidence. Blessed are those who believe against the reality. No. Blessed are those who believe on the basis of the true historic confession of Thomas, on the true historic confession of the apostles who went on to lay down their lives with this confession. They didn't profit from it. They died. Their profit was eternal reward with Jesus and resurrection life. We believe on the basis of what we find written here. That's what the next verses say. Starting in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All of the sufficient and necessary criteria for those who care about those kinds of things are there for you by the Holy Spirit as you take up and read the accounts so go and look for yourself. This isn't a faith that's opposed to history. This is a faith rooted in Christ who is Lord of history, who laid down his life in history, who rose in history. But then, I encourage you as you ask your questions, as you look to Christ in the scriptures, to learn from Thomas even once more and not go it alone. He was gathered together with the disciples in the midst of his doubt. And for eight days, he put up with these people who go on saying, we've seen the Lord. And I want you to realize it's instructive to us as, as modern Christians and also for those who are just, just looking in and wondering what it's like to be in a Christian community, wondering what the hope of resurrection is like. It's instructive to us that Jesus in all of his risen glory was revealed to Thomas in the community that went on saying, we've seen the Lord seen him risen. Remember Jesus' promise. He says, I am with you always. He said that to, the, to his disciples in the Great Commission when he's risen. And they're the beginning of the church, all of the Jesus followers throughout the ages in every place all over the world. I'm with you all always. He says, wherever two or more gather in my name, there I'll be. 
He meets us at his table and ministers his hope and his promises to us in felt and seen and smelled ways. And he ministers through us and we feel his love as the body of Christ, as people sacrificially give their time and energy and resources to love one another the way Jesus called us to love. And we get to experience and feel and know that in Christian community. This place where we say to one another, Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. So how do we recover hope, folks, when life feels hopeless? We learn on Resurrection Sunday, and we learn from Thomas that we need a hope we can feel, and that's precisely what we have in Jesus. And the flannel graph Jesus, you know, it, it gets one thing right. We have a hope that we can feel. He is risen. risen Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the hope of resurrection. Thank you for this community that ministers to me. This great hope. I pray for those who are struggling with doubt, with, with pain. Lord, with all of the things that happen under the sun in this world that still longs for new creation. Lord, I pray you'd just come close and speak their name so they could hear you, that you would make known in their minds that there is hope, that they could feel you and experience you as you promised. We praise you for your promise and for the resurrection and for this life you've given. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.